Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. What a wonderful music service you've had today. Man, I've just been lifted up, just praising the Lord and telling Him how wonderful He is. And that's what life is all about, showing other people the reality of God through our lives. The Bible says this, that God created us, recreated us, made us new creatures so that we have the privilege now of representing God. People can see God in our lives as we surrender to Him day by day. Today we're talking specifically about raising children. You are either going to endure children or enjoy them. I think it's so important that we learn how to enjoy children and we bring them up for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this as I start. I'm just thrilled to be able to be here. I'm thrilled to be able to get to know your pastor more. We've been acquaintances for some time, but to be able to get to know him and to get to know Jonathan more and just be able to spend time in this place. This place really made an impact on my life when I was just about two years into ministry. Uh, my, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, and uh, uh, when I got saved, when I committed my life to the Lord, I, I got burdened by God to come back to Las Vegas and start a church. We started a church. From, I tell people we didn't start it from scratch, we started it from itch because we didn't have anything to scratch. And so we started that church from scratch. We, uh, about two years into our ministry, we uh, found out that we were going to have to move out of our building. They were selling the building that we were, going to be, that we were meeting in, and I thought, Lord, I, I need some help. I need some, uh, somebody to just help us build some bar- buy some property uh, to get moving or find a new building. And so I started praying and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send letters out to preachers across uh, the Southwest and I'm going to try and get some preachers to help us uh, through mission support. And so I wrote a letter, put together a packet, nice little packet, and sent a letter out to 500 different preachers around the country, telling them what we've been doing in Las Vegas, asking them to support us in trying to purchase another piece of property or at least move to another piece of property. Out of those 500 uh, uh, letters and and, uh, packets that we sent out, I only had one response. And that one response was from a pastor named Lewis Johnson. I had read about him, I knew about him, and I knew about the starting of this church, and I had read about it in a book written by Dallas Billington, who was uh, Lewis Johnson's pastor. And uh, so I knew about this church, but I never thought anybody as being used as much as he was used. And, and this church and the reputation it had would ever consider someone like me a nothing in Las Vegas. And yet he wrote me, he wrote me a letter that was so precious to me. He told me how, how he believed that God had sent me and that he, he wanted to let me know that he was behind me 100% and if there was anything he could do for us, let us know. And he sent us a check for $200. 
Now, you may not think $200 is much, but $200 back then was a million dollars to us. And it just really, really encouraged a young pastor. I was 24 years old at the time. He encouraged a young pastor to keep on going. It's now 44 years after that, and God has allowed our church, through your investment and through this church, God has allowed us to see multiple churches started in the Las Vegas Valley. We have sent, we have sent multiple millions of dollars around the world uh, to missionaries. We have made, there's been, there's, you've just made a major impact, and I just, this is the first time I've ever had the opportunity of being here and preaching in this church and I just want to say a very special thank you from this pastor, from the people of Liberty Baptist Church, for the investment you put into us. Whatever we accomplish, you're part of in Las Vegas, Nevada. So thank you. We're going to talk about raising children this morning. We're going to talk about raising them for the glory of God. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Deuteronomy. Children can say some trying things from time to time. I was driving out of my uh, of our uh, our development one day just a few uh, few months ago my daughter uh, is married to a man in the Air Force and he had deployed uh, and was uh, on the other part other side of the world she was living with us for for nine months with four of our grandchildren and that's an experience uh, that we hadn't had I hadn't had children in the home for for uh, for years and yet I travel around preaching about how to raise kids and so uh, it was a renewal experience for me and it was a really great blessing a lot of fun and some tough times well I'm driving out of our our our, uh, our um, development area in Las Vegas and I had my eight-year-old granddaughter, Ember, sitting next to me, and I had my five-year-old, Clark, he was sitting in the back seat, we're driving out, and it had just snowed, and all around Las Vegas, there was these beautiful snow-capped mountains. As I pulled out, I thought, oh, this is amazing. I said, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? And Ember said, yes, and Clark said, yes. I said, you know, my mother used to say that she used to say those mountains were put there by God for her because she came from Pennsylvania and she just liked to look up and see those beautiful mountains. And she said, that I said, my mother used to say God put them there for her. And then it was quiet for a minute and my five-year-old in the back said, Grandpa, how long has it been since your mother passed? which I thought was an interesting way of asking. And I said, well, I said, Clark, it's been a long time, a long time ago. And then my eight-year-old said, well, well, Grandpa, why did she pass? And I said, well, she just got old. She just got really, really old. And uh, then there was another pause. And then from the back seat, the five-year-old said, Grandpa, you're old. <laughs> and then Ember, to reassure Clark, Ember said, oh, that's okay. He's got a long time to live. He'll be around for at least two or three more years. So <laughs> I'm glad to be able to be here today and share with you for the next uh, little while and 
Uh, I hope it'll be a little bit more longer than two or three years. Anyway, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is an amazing passage because, because of where it fits in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 comes right after Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's an amazing theological truth. Uh, right there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's important to understand that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, what Moses does is he rehearses for the children of Israel. He's talking to the children of Israel, and he rehearses for them how God had spoken to them at Mount Sinai. He reminds them that God actually came down, and there was fire, and there was smoke, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and the people all were gathered around Mount Sinai, and God vocally gave the Ten Commandments. And he says, you heard it. You, you were there. You heard it. You saw the fire. You saw the smoke. You heard the thunder. And you heard the very voice of God give you the Ten Commandments. And he reminds them about that. Remember what happened? Remember it scared you so much to hear the voice of God that you came to me and you said, Moses, we never want to hear that again. Hearing the voice of God was an awesome and it was a frightening experience. And this is what we would prefer. We would prefer that you go to God from now on. Let God talk to you. And then when he talks to you, you come and tell us what he had to say. It won't be that frightening that way. And Moses goes to God and he says, God, is that what you want me to do? And God said, that's a good idea. So what we'll do, Moses, from now on, I'll talk to you, and, and then you can take my message as a prophet to my people. And he, in fact, he said, we're going to do that from generation to generation to generation. I'm just going to speak to prophets, and they'll speak to the people for me until the prophet, Jesus Christ, comes. So all of that is rehearsed, this whole story about all of the Ten Commandments, and every one of the Ten Commandments are given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Then, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses says this. He says in verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither thou go to possess it. He said, listen, God gave you these commandments, and he went through all of that so that you'd have the commandments so that you would do them that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So the reason God gives us his commands isn't to make our lives miserable, but so that our life will be prolonged, so that we can have God's blessing in our life. He says in verse 3, Hear therefore, listen to what I'm saying, he says, O Israel, and observe to do it. Why? That it may be well with thee, that, they, that, that you may increase mightily. God wants us to increase mightily. And how do, why does he give his commandments? So if we do them, we'll increase. As the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. You're about to go into the promised land. And if you'll keep these commandments then you will live long. You'll prosper. God will bless you. It's going to be a wonderful thing. So obey these commandments that God has given you. Now, we know this, that nobody can keep all the commandments of God. You see, the Bible says this, and we need to understand this, that we are all sinners. And that because we're sinners, none of us 
can keep all the commandments of God. We choose not to. We choose to do wrong. In fact, the Bible says because of our sin, none of us can ever earn our way to heaven. We deserve, in fact, the Bible says, to go to hell. We deserve to be separated from God forever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious you are. The Bible says we're all sinners. We are all separated from God, and we all deserve to go to hell because we choose to sin. Now, that's terrible news. So how do I get out of that? Well, the Bible tells us that, that God in his justice demands that sin be paid for, by being separated from God forever in a place called hell. But God didn't want you to have to pay for your own sin. And so God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came to this earth as a man for one reason. Because since he was God, he could be everywhere at the same time. He could be in the past, present, and future all at the same time. And since he was a man, he could die in the place of man. So as the God-man, Jesus Christ came for one reason to this earth, so he could die, pay the penalty of our sin in our place, pay for our sin, and then be buried. Since he was God, he had the power over life and death, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, by the way. That's why we know this is no myth. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses who were willing to die for what they saw. The, the writers of the New Testament knew they were going to die when they wrote the New Testament. People don't die for something they know is a lie. They saw Jesus die. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He had paid for our sin in our place. And then he went back to heaven, and they watched him ascend into heaven. Now the Bible says this, if I want to get to heaven... What I have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I admit it. I know that you are God. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I deserve to go to hell. But I believe that you died in my place, that you paid for my sin, that you were buried, and that three days later you rose from the dead, having paid for my sin. And I'm asking you to give me eternal life. The Bible says it this way. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then he summarizes it by saying, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do I get to heaven? I can't get to heaven by doing good works. I can't get to heaven by going to church. I can't get to heaven by being baptized. What do I do? I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you're God. I believe you died for me and were buried and rose from the dead for me. And I can't get myself to heaven, but I'm asking you to give me eternal life. And when you ask Jesus to give you eternal life, boom, he gives you eternal life. Jesus said, if any man comes unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. Anyone who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to get to heaven, you don't even have to be eloquent about it. You don't even have to say all those words. You just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I know you died for me. Please give me eternal life. And boom, he'll give you eternal life. Wow, that's so wonderful. That's how we get saved. And but now, now, in this particular passage that we're talking about, 
He's talking about not, not how to live victoriously. These people were already uh, c- considered the children of God, but he wants the children of God to know how to live successfully in the promised land that he's given to them. He wants the children of God to know how to be successful when they enter into the promised land that he's given them. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about a land that he's given to them. He wants them to be successful. So he says, here's what you do. You obey me. But the question is, how can I obey him? In fact, how do I teach my children to obey him? And this is what he says. This, is a, this verse is what Jesus quoted when the Pharisees came to him and said, hey, we want to know what is the greatest commandment. Several times Jesus said, this is the great commandment. Look in verse 4. How do I keep the commandments? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. He says, hear this. Hear this. If you want to keep the commandments of God, if you want to be successful in life, here's the way to do it. Learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Then he says this, and these words, what words? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind. These words, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently, work at teaching these unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. He said, here's the key. If you want to know how to keep the commandments, and Jesus repeated this in the New Testament, if you want to know how to keep the commandments, understand this, here's the key. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Love him with everything in you. And then he says, don't just love them. If you want your children to keep the commandments of God, if you want your children to be successful, if you want them to to serve your God, then teach them this thing. Teach them to love him. Teach them to love him with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. Our responsibility as parents, our responsibility as grandparents, our responsibility as people who influence those that are younger than us is to teach others how to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we raise children who will want to worship the king. Teach them to love him. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Several years ago, I was, we had a missions conference at our church, and after church, or after, after we had an opening meeting, a missionary wife came up to me. This is about two or three days into the conference. A missionary wife came up to me, and she said, Pastor Tice, she said, would you do something, would you do a special session on raising kids? She said, she said I've noticed You're here in Las Vegas, Nevada. You're in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you have five children. And she said, they're all happy. They all love Jesus. 
They're all serving. They're all serving. They're in every area. No matter how old they are, they're all serving here. She said, how in the world did you raise five kids in Las Vegas, Nevada, and they all want to serve Jesus? Would you do a session on that? And I said, sure. And I went home. I said, Anna, how did we do that? And my wife and I sat down and we put together, we actually just listed out, what did we do? What did we do to get our children to want to love the Lord? And we came up with 13 things later, we added to, to them, and I want to share those with you today. I may not get through all of them. In fact, I'm only get through a couple of them right now, and I'll continue tonight. But I want to share with you what we did in order to get our children to want to serve the Lord. Father, help me to communicate truth to your people today. And I pray, Father, that when we leave here, God, we'll leave here with some understanding about how important it is that we serve you and, and, and that we will, we will have the, some of the tools we need to get our children to want to follow you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 13 things I want to share with you, and the first one is this. Pray for your children every day. Pray for your children every single day. When I was just about four years into the ministry, we only had Matthew, my five children are Matthew, Joshua, Charity, Faith, and Hope. We only had Matthew and we only had Joshua. And we was in, I was invited to a men's conference at Ironwood Youth Camp in, in California. And so we went down there, and uh, uh, the, <clears throat> we were in, the, in a meeting room. There was probably 50 or 60 men, and um, the preacher got up, and he started talking about preacher's kids. And he started talking about preacher's kids that had gone bad. He told about a preacher's kid that got involved in drugs and uh, drug abuse and was living on the street, and he was a drug addict, and how terrible that was. Well, I'm sitting there as a young pastor with a, with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm thinking, man, that'd be horrible. I don't want that to happen to my children. And then he went on and talked about a, a, a preacher who had become an alcoholic and, was a, and was a, had, had a preacher's son who'd become an alcoholic and messed his life up in alcohol and drinking and just lived, lived a, a horrible life. And I thought, that's horrible. And then he talked about, about immorality. He talked about a, another young man who just got involved in the immoral lifestyle and was out sleeping with different girls and just doing all sorts of terrible things and went on about that. And, I was, and, I got, and then, then story after story was being told and I was rem, reminded about, about preachers. I remember a song when I was a kid by Diana Ross called, and it said, the only one that could ever reach me, the only one that could ever get me to be immoral was the sweet talking son of a preacher man. And I'm sitting there as a young pastor with two children, two two sons and I'm thinking, God, I don't want that for them. God, I want my kids to turn out right. I want my kids to love you. I want my kids to serve you. And I'm sitting there listening to all of this. And, and then he dismissed and all the men went to the game rooms and did whatever men do at a men's retreat. And, and I was just so burdened. There was a little patch of grass that was out in back of the chapel and there was mesquite trees that were over there and a bench down there. I went back there and, and, and it, was, it was dark and, and there was nobody else around, and I just got down on my face. And I put my face to the ground, and I said, God, God, I don't care what I ever do in life. I don't care whatever happens in life. 
I don't care how big our ministry gets or small. I don't care if we are rich or poor. God, I'm just begging you, let my children live for you. God, I want my children to live for you. I want my children to love you. I don't want my children to be drunks. I don't want my children to get involved in drugs. I don't want my children to get involved in pornography and wicked stuff. God, I just pray. Just pray, God, my kids will serve you. God, please let my children serve you. And I told, I said, Lord, Lord, if you'll just let me serve, let them serve you. If they'll, if they'll just honor you, then after they grow and they're serving you, you can just take me home. I don't care what else you do with my life. Let me have children that'll grow up and live for you. I don't know if I was down there for 20 minutes or, or an hour, but I just kept begging God and begging God. I, there's nothing eloquent about my prayers. There's nothing eloquent about me whatsoever. But I just decided at that time, I was going to start praying for my children every single day. I'm going to pray for my kids every single day that God will take care of them, that God will bless them. And again, not, I don't have super long, fancy prayers. I just started begging God. And I've done that every day since then. This morning, right now, I, I have 10 children. Five of them were born to us, and five of them married into our family. I have 10 children, and I have 19 grandchildren. Now, I know immediately when I say that, you're thinking, how can a guy that looks that young have 19 grandchildren? <laughs> I have 19 grandchildren. I love them all. I love being with my grandchildren, and I want them all to serve Jesus. This morning, I prayed for every single one of those grandchildren and children and my wife by name. I've done that, and I do that every single day. I'm not telling you something that's theory. I'm just telling you what I've done. And, and, and I, I thank God that in his mercy and in his grace... He answered my prayers because God knows all of my inadequacies. God knows all of my weaknesses. God knows how much I fail. But I just determined that I, I in fact, listen, I'm not that good at family devotions. I'm, I, 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 I grew up in an era when I listened to men like Lester Roloff talk about having family altar. And John R. Rice said prayer before breakfast and, and uh, Bible study before whatever. Uh, uh, and, 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 and I, and I love those guys. I listened to them and, I, and they always talked about having family devotions, family altar, family. And I thought, man, I want to do that. But I wasn't good at it. I, was, I would say, all right. In fact, I blame it on my children. Some of you have met Matthew and some of you have met Joshua. It's their fault. Uh, I would sit down and I would be, begin to have devotions and they, they would, it would be like Matthew would, would, would get Joshua going and then it would be big joke time and then the girls were like the peanut gallery and they're just laughing and they're having a good time and I'm saying, thus saith the Lord. And it just didn't work. I would, it's just not who I was. So I wasn't really good at that. And we tried it, but I wasn't really good at that. But here's what we did do. We talked about Jesus all the time. Everywhere we went, and I, I look at this passage of scripture, and God says, "Listen, this is what you do when you're walking by the way, when you're when you get up, when you when you go to bed, when you when you uh, when you're walking by the way, when you're working together, when you're sitting at the table, talk about Jesus, just constantly talk about Jesus." And so we did that. 
We did that all the time. We were always saying, if we went someplace, look what Jesus did. Look what, we go to the Grand Canyon, tell them how, what, that God did this and, and all these uh, all, all the things that we saw, we would talk about the Lord. We'd drive down the road. We would be, we would just, we'd see something and, and sort of use it uh, to tell them about Jesus. I remember one day specifically, I'm driving down the road. Matthew, my oldest, was was in the back seat of the car, and I'm driving down the road, and I saw something. I don't even remember what I saw. I remember looking over, and I and I said, "Hey, kids, look over there. Let me tell you something." And Matthew from the back seat said, I feel an object lesson coming on. <laughs> because we, were just, we would just do things like that. We would talk to our children about the Lord and always bring things up to them about what we saw, what we, what we saw, and what we did and what we didn't do. We just determined, I determined we were going to, I was going to pray for our children every day. I wasn't good, like I said, at devotion, but, but I did pray for my children every day single day. I was sitting at the, at the dinner table one day, and as we were sitting at the dinner table, uh, I, we prayed for, for, for the food, and then while we were sitting there, I started telling them a story about, uh, that I had read or that I had heard about, about a little boy who refused to receive Jesus Christ. And he, he, just, he was a rebel. He knew, that, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew he, did, he didn't deserve to go to heaven and that he needed to receive Jesus. But he rejected and he rejected. And, and my kids were listening to the story. Joshua was sitting right here to my right. And he was about five or six years old. And, and I said, he just wouldn't hear. He just wouldn't get saved. And I said, you know what happened? That little boy was riding in a car with his mom and dad and he, and he got killed. And it was quiet. And then Joshua started crying. I said, what's wrong, Josh? He said, if I got in a car accident and, and, I, and I got killed, I wouldn't go to heaven either. I said, well, why? He said, because I haven't gotten saved. Can I get saved? And Joshua got saved uh, that night. We went in the back room and, uh, and, and, and prayed and, and received Christ as Savior. Because we talked about the Lord all the time. Pray for your children every day, but don't just pray for them. Look, let them hear you pray for them. Let them hear you pray for them. Again, and I mentioned this yesterday, <clears throat> but every night when we went to bed, I, I, didn't, I wasn't, again, very fancy about anything I did. I would try and get my kids to get in bed, and then I would say, I want to pray. I pray for... Uh, Matthew, we had, a, we had a small home and there was a wall between the boys' room and the girls' room and there was a door that went into the girls' room this way and a door that went into the boys' room this way so I could stand right there in the hallway and I could pray and they could all hear me pray for them. And so I would pray for them, Lord, I, I pray for Matthew that he'll live for you and serve you all his life and I pray you'll give him a godly wife. And I pray for Joshua that he'll live for you and serve you all his life and you'll give him a godly wife. And now, if there was something specifically he asked me to pray for, I would pray for that. <clears throat> but if not, that would be the prayer. And then I'd pray for the girls, for charity, faith, and hope. And then I would say, Lord, help us to sleep well in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I really meant that last part uh, because uh, they, they would wake up in the middle of the night and I didn't like that. And so we, we, I prayed for them. And I, I would pray that. I'd do that every single night. And they heard me pray that way. My, my kids really, to this day, believe that God hears and answers my prayers. Anything that they... Anything that they 
any need they have, they'll call me up. It doesn't matter where I am in the world, they'll call me up and they'll say, Dad, you need to pray specifically about this thing. Because they've heard me pray and they've seen God hear and answer prayer. My, my grandson, Jonathan, my oldest grandson, he is now a student at Liberty University. Uh, my, he, uh, he, in fact, he's a junior, I guess, in, at Liberty University. But he, uh, he was at our house, he was about eight years old, and uh, he was spending the night. So he came in, I, I tucked him into bed, I, uh, I said, you ready to go to sleep? He said, yes. So I put my hand on his back and I prayed the same thing for him. I said, I put my hand on his back. I'm so used to praying it. I just pray the, pray the thing. And it's not vain repetition, by the way. God wants us to ask over and over and over and over and over again for things that we mean. In fact, he tells us that specifically in Luke chapter 11. So I went in and I put my hand on, on Jonathan's back and I said, Lord, I, I pray for Jonathan. I pray he'll live for you and serve you all of his life. And I pray you'll give him a godly wife. And this is what I heard. Whoa, 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 whoa. I said, what you, Jonathan, what are you doing? He said, you don't do that. I said, what? He said, don't pray for me to get married. I'm not getting married, Grandpa. And uh, he was sort of shocked that I'm praying for his wife. I said, okay. He's now 20 years old. The last, about two months ago, I said, Jonathan, do you still want me not to pray for a wife? He said, no, no. Pray, Grandpa. Pray. <laughs> so uh, the, we, your children need to hear you pray. I, I encourage you Pray for your children every single day. Let them hear you pray for them. And grandparents, let them hear you pray for them. Nothing greater than a godly parent, grandparent praying for their children. Number two, don't just pray with your children, play with your children. Play with your children. I grew up, I grew up in a time where people said a pastor should be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what he should be doing with his life, and that's, that's where it is. And, and I watched my friends burn out for Jesus, and I determined I wasn't going to do that. We took uh, every Monday, we took Mondays off with our family. It wasn't a day off, it was a day with the family. We were going to spend time with the family. We took family vacations. We determined we were going to do that. So on, on Sunday night after church, we would go home and we would just, it was party time. We would have fun with our children. My children made a, uh, after I, I wrote a book called Raising God's Kids in Sin City, and it's available. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about it at the end of the service. But uh, when I, after I wrote the book, my five children decided that they were going to make a video and they were going to uh, put it on, on, on social networks and they were going to put it out there and they did some podcasts about it. And, uh, and there they are. They're, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it's like to be raised in your home. Well, that's a scary thing. That's going to go all over the country and people are going to be hearing what it was like. So I didn't watch the video for about a year and a half. And then I just, my wife and I uh, sat down and we watched the video together. The one thing that went over, that I, that I heard over and over, wasn't how spiritual dad was and how much he loved us or anything like that. It was, it was very simply this. They kept saying, oh, this was fun and that was fun. The whole thing was fun, 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 fun. And I said, Lord, thank you for the wisdom that you gave me to have fun with the family. You need to have fun with your family. Whenever we could, we watched TV with them. We watched movies with them. 
because when you're doing that, you get to select what they're watching. We went to amusement parks. We've been in amusement parks all the way across this country, different, stopping at different places just to, to see amusement parks. We went to water parks. We just had fun. We spent all sorts of time with our children. And it wasn't always spending a lot of money. Well, I don't have the money to do that thing. Listen, you can have fun just doing things. Just anything you're doing with them. I, I, I used to, on Saturday, I spent Saturday out on visitation. I would either visit people that had visited the church or I'd be out knocking on doors. And while I was doing that on Saturday, I was thinking, what am I going to do that's fun on Monday? Uh, what can we do that's fun? What, what can we do? I'm broke. What am I going to do? I can remember <laughs> one time I said to my wife, I, 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 was, I was out door knocking and I thought, hey, I got an idea. This will be fun. I remembered that when I was 10 and 11 years old, and Matthew like, was 13 and, and, and met Joshua was about 11 years old at that time, um, and I had them all the way from 13 to, to at Hope was, Hope was uh, uh, 18 months old, I thought, you know what I've never done with my kids? I've never taken them lizard hunting. Lizard hunting. This is a fun thing to do. You know what this is like. If you grew up in the desert and were broke like I was, uh, you get four or five, you get four or five uh, junior age boys and you go out into the desert and, and out in the desert they, they've got, there's garbage laying around and you, you find a piece of cardboard and you flip up that piece of cardboard and underneath that cardboard there's a lizard trying to insulate himself from the heat. And, and we used to do that all the time. I thought, what a fun thing to do. Our kids will love this. I'm going to take them lizard hunting. And, I, and if you've never gone lizard hunting, that's what you do. You get four or five kids and you surround a piece of metal, a piece of, of wood, anything. You just find the junk that people have thrown out in the desert and you, and you reach down and you get a, 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 you get a, a junior age boy there, here, here, and you get them all around and then somebody picks that thing up and you flip that piece of, of wood back and when that piece of wood is gone, you see the lizard. Now there's all sorts of lizards out there and you know this, there's, there's like the horny toads and then there's, there's, there's little snub-nosed lizards and there's big blow lizards and there's, and there's we really like the whiptail lizards, they'd be about that long, look like snakes with legs and um, that was before the fall and, uh, and so uh, they had, um, there was all these different types of lizards, and I always wanted to catch one. Anyway, uh, we, we were really good at this, and so the, the rule is, if you've got a bunch of junior age boys, is you take, you flip the thing up, and wherever the lizard is, wh whoever, all, all, all four or all five of the boys jump on the lizard, and the hand that gets the lizard gets to keep the lizard if the lizard survives, <laughs> and so that's, that's the rules, and so... So I thought, man, this will be cool. I'll teach my kids how to do this, and they'll think this is the greatest thing in the world. Then we'll go have, like a, a, have some pop afterwards, and they'll just think this was a great day. So I, I go home to my wife, and I said, honey, hey, I got a great idea for Monday. And she said, what's that? I said, I'm going to take the kids out, and we're going to go lizard hunting. And she said, What? I said, we're going to go lizard hunting. Now, my wife grew up in western Pennsylvania. She doesn't know much about the desert. She knows much, but not about the desert. And she said, David, she said, we're going to go out in the desert and go lizard hunting? I said, yeah. She said, but there's snakes out there. I said, honey, there's no, there are not going to be any snakes. I've done this all my life. When I was a kid, we did it all the time. I never saw a snake. There's not going to be snakes out there. 
it's going to be fine. She said, you, you really think so? I said, yeah, it'll be great. They're going to love it. There'll be a memory that they'll have for the rest of their life, and we'll just do this. In fact, we can do this like often. It'll be great. And she said, are you sure? I said, yeah. So Monday came, and we packed up our little car. We had a little Ford Fiesta, and we took it out, and we start out at dirt roads out in the desert. We're driving along. And as we're driving through the dirt roads, my wife is still not sure about this whole thing. And uh, we come across something that was absolutely perfect. Somebody had taken a box spring and dropped it right in the middle of the road that we were in. And I thought, that's it. This is perfect. There, there definitely is going to be something underneath that. And she said, honey, that's a big, there could be a snake there. I said, there's not going to be a snake. It's going to be okay. She said, okay, if you said so. So we got out, I got the kids out. I said, okay, now we're going to whisper. No, we're not going to make a lot of noise because we don't want to scare away. But there'll be a lizard underneath there. And I said, we're going we're gonna to do it. Now, my wife is, is about 15 feet beyond, back here. And I have, I have Faith over here and Charity's over here. And Matt is here and Joshua's here. And I have hope, like a sack of potatoes under my arm. She's like 18 months old because I didn't want her to miss out on this, right? And this is a great experience. And so I'm holding her like this and uh, I'm going down uh, for it. And I said, I'm not, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach this. And box springs aren't very heavy. So I, I'm going to reach this thing. I'm going to flip it back. And when I do, there's going to be a lizard underneath there. Well, you're, you've lived in the desert. You know what blow sand is. And you know you can be driving down the road and, and there can be a hole in the road that you don't see because there's, it's filled with blow sand. And if you hit it with your tires, the, it puffs up like powder. Well, uh, uh, I, I had forgotten about that. And also, little animals get down in that blow sand and they're alive down in that blow sand because they can breathe and it keeps them cool. So I... I, I I needed to let you know about that so uh, before we went down. I, I, so they're all standing around, and I reach down to where the box spring is, and I, I, I say, okay, here we go, one, two, three, and I throw, I throw the thing up. And when I do, man, just like I thought, there was a little snub-nosed lizard. It wasn't very big, but it was a little snub-nosed lizard. And I thought, oh, good, Dad's going to be the hero. And, and I went down on my knee like this, I had hope here, and I set her up so she was standing there, and now she's wobbling. The kids all jumped back because I had just thrown that box spring back, and I'm going down for the lizard. What I did not see was the three-foot rattlesnake that was curled up right here in the blow sand. I'm going down like this, and it, it's like, in my memory, like, like slow motion. I hear from back here, David, there is a snake. And I thought, it's a lizard. And I put her down. And when I put her down and she's standing there like this, that snake lifted up and looked at Hope like eyeball to eyeball. And I immediately forgot about the lizard. In fact, I don't know where it went to, to this day. And so, and I grabbed her back, and, and that, that snake uh, fell down, and, uh, and the kids went screaming, and uh, it was just great memories. What I'm saying. <laughs> is you can build fun memories for your. We've, 
We would go out into the desert with our kids and we would have fun with our children. What I'm saying is this, play with your children. Have fun with your children. It's not just about, about as, you know, as independent Baptists, we can say, oh, we're not doing this and we're not doing that, we're not doing this. And we'll talk about positive replacement uh, tonight. But it's important that we let our children know that it is fun to be saved. So pray for your children every single day. Let them hear you pray for them. Play with your children. Have fun with your children. Let me give you one more thing. Participate with your children in ministry. Participate with your children in ministry. Ministry is not something that should pull you away from your family. Ministry is something that you should do with your family and it should tie you to your family. So you are serving the Lord. They were involved in everything we did. If I went someplace, they went with us. If I was going to speak someplace, they were going to go with us. They were just involved in everything that we did. I was invited by a preacher one time to do a couples retreat in, uh, uh, in fact, in Arizona. And, and uh, so I said, hey, that's great. So I, I, I got ready to go and I said, hey, by the way, what are, what do we do with the kids when they're there? And he said, the, the director of the camp said, oh, you can't bring your children. I said, oh, we can't bring our children. Oh, no, you can't bring your children. This is a couples retreat. I said, oh, well, if I can't bring my children, then we won't be able to come. You see, I didn't have anybody to leave my children with. My family wasn't, we, I just didn't have anybody to leave my children with. And so I, wherever we went, they went with us. And he said, I said, well, if, if I can't bring my children, then we won't be able to come. He said, oh, well, I really want you to come. I said, well, that's just the way it is. And uh, so we hung up the phone. The next day or two, he called me back and he said, hey, we really want you to come. I want to ask you a question. Are your children willing to serve? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, they said, he said, will they serve? I said, yeah, they'll serve. They love to do whatever you want them to do while they're there. They'll serve. I said, hope is just a baby. But they said, he said, well, he said, would they be willing to wash dishes? I said, oh, yeah, my boys can wash dishes. Would the girls be willing to wait tables? I said, yeah, they'd love it. And they said, uh, he said, well, then come and let them come. They'll, they can serve. And they served with us at that retreat. And I, it was a really neat thing. We went there. The boys were in the back in the deep sink washing dishes. The girls, my wife dressed them all up. Now, they had long hair, and they curled up the hair, and, and they put, she put on these nice little dresses that looked so cute. So when my daughters came out, they're, they're coming out all dressed up really cute, and they're, they're, they're serving table. We were sitting like in family style, and they, my daughters would come out and bring their things, and we taught them to say, their mother taught them to say polite things like, thank you, and, and here it is, and, and they did all that. Well, one of the preacher's wives, one of the preacher's wives said, she is so cute, you need to give her a tip. <laughs> my children didn't know what tip was. They got like a nickel if they did something at the house well. And, uh, and, and uh, that, that preacher pulled out a dollar bill and gave it to my daughter. And then my other daughter, they gave her a, do a dollar. And then all the other preacher's wives, I love this, all the other preacher's wives said, hey, you need to do that too. And, you, and all the cheap preachers uh, were reaching in their pocket and they're all, they're all giving my kids tips. And my, my daughters didn't know what to do with them. They came to me and they said, daddy, look, they're giving us money. I said, give that to me. And uh, I put it in my pocket. 
And they just, they, they loved it. And then later they split the tips between all the, the, all the, the boys and the girls. And it was just a, a great experience. They served with us. Listen, all of my, we, they went soul winning with us. If I, if I was going soul winning, I would take my children with me. Every one of my children have watched me lead people to Christ. Um, in fact, my children think that I'm the greatest soul winner in the, on the planet. I'm not, but they have seen me lead people to Christ so often they think that, that my, my daughter Faith said one day, she said, my dad can turn any conversation into a soul winning conversation. Well, that, again, that's not true, but they've been with us when we've, when we've uh, traveled. Uh, when we preached, when I went to preach someplace, they went with us. When we went to dinner with, uh, we, would, we went to dinner together with preachers and missionaries that were in town, they were with us. They felt they'd fallen asleep in Denny's, they'd fallen asleep in IHOPs, they'd fallen asleep in every possible situation. When we went out, they went out with us. Here's the deal. We were fanatics at having our kids with us, whatever we did. And, and, and because of that, our children didn't resent the ministry, they loved the ministry. I'm telling you, you can teach your children to love Jesus and to love him. And the key is this, parents, our job, our job, what, what Moses told the children of Israel was this, look, you're going to the promised land. If you want your children to succeed, if you want your grandchildren to succeed, teach these things to your children and to your grandchildren. Teach them this, teach them to love God with all their heart and all their soul and with all their might. And if you ask me, how do you do that? Hey, pray for them and pray with them every single day and play with them. Let them see that being a Christian is the greatest life in the world and participate with them in ministry. And they'll love the Lord and they'll love his ministry. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just help us not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I pray for families that are here. I pray that dads will determine that even if they feel a little awkward praying for their children every day, that they will make a commitment today to pray with their children every day. And that moms and dads together will pray with their children and that they will pray individually for their children. God, I pray that they'll work there. I pray, Father, that there'll be a, a real emphasis that, that moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas will determine they're going to have fun with their with their children and their grandchildren, that their grandchildren and their children will love being a Christian and being in a Christian family because it's the greatest thing in the world and they enjoyed it so much. I pray, Father, that they will participate with their children in ministry and that there'll be some commitments to do that even today. I pray you'll work in lives. And then, Father, specifically, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior and God, I pray that before they leave here today, they'll put their faith and trust in you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you today, if you're a parent or a grandparent, first of all, would you make a commitment to God to pray for your children, to play with your children, and to participate with your children in ministry. 
You know, it, it all starts with a decision. I'm just going to start doing that. You, oh, you may not be perfect at it. Maybe you'll miss a day or two or maybe a week and, and think, oh, I forgot to do that and start doing it again. Just decide to, de to develop a pattern in your life where you're going to pray for them, you're going to play with them, and you're going to, at every opportunity, participate with them in ministry. Would you do that? I'm telling you, God will transform your family and your relationship with your children if you'll just do those three things. We've got more to share tonight, but make those commitments. Now, let me tell, this, tell you this. You cannot, you can pray, but you're not going to be effective unless first you know Jesus. You see, the commandments were given to the children of Israel to obey them so they could be successful. They were already in the sight of God considered his children. But you can't keep the commandments of God without knowing him. And the only way you get to know him is by coming to him and admitting that you're a sinner, as we talked about at the very beginning of this message. You have to say to Jesus, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you're God. I believe you died for me. You were buried and rose from the dead for me. You have to ask Jesus to be your Savior and God. You have to believe that he died for you, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead. And maybe you've never done that. In fact, I'd like to know that. If you've trusted Jesus and you know for sure you're going to heaven, you can remember a time where you personally, when you personally asked Jesus to save you, if you can remember that time, would you slip up your hand as a testimony to that? Oh, thank you. All over. All over. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here and you say, preacher, I couldn't raise my hand because I don't remember when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't remember the experience. I don't ever remember asking Jesus to save me. But I'd like to do that right now. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. But I'd like to pray for you. If you say, preacher, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, would you let me pray for you? Just slip up your hand right now and say, preacher, I didn't raise my hand a minute ago. I'm raising my hand right now. Now, raise it up high enough and long enough for me to see it. Okay, I see one hand. I see another hand over there. I'll pray for you. Raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. Okay, I see a hand back in the back. Anybody else? I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I can't remember a time I personally asked Jesus to save me. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm looking. Just hold, again, hold it up high enough and long enough for me to see. Okay, I saw three hands, and now I'm not sure that there may have been somebody else that I didn't see, but I'm going to pray for you like I said I would. Father, I pray for those who raised their hand. I pray that you would make it clear that the only way they can get to heaven is by asking you to give them eternal life. And I pray they'll do that today. I pray you'll work in their lives, and I pray you'll save their souls today. And Father, if there's somebody that didn't raise their hand or some hand that I missed, I pray for them as well. I pray they'll call on you and ask you to save them, even right now.